You're listening to Miscast Commentary. Hey everybody, welcome to Miscast Commentary, a coming attractions episode. I am Joe Finley, Todd Murray not here. Uh, we're in lockdown right now, so for the safety of all, we're not getting together right now. Just uh, our way of being the coolest people in the world, basically. Uh, not a ton to talk about though, because we're going to show you something fun. I have brought to you another interview, and I'm very excited to share it with you. Uh, it's going to be our first episode of the new year, 2021, starting off with a bang. We are talking to Fred Kennedy, a.k.a. Fearless Fred, who is uh, a radio personality, a comic book writer, and has created this wonderful new Star Wars-based radio play, uh, radio series for a better term, I guess. Uh, it's called Mud 79. You can check that out on the Issue Zero pod. Uh, you can find it anywhere and all that good stuff. And you can follow him on Twitter and just so much to talk about. So let's go right to Fred and I and our awesome conversation just a couple of days ago. Hey, everybody. We are here today with radio personality, comic book writer, podcast host of Issue Zero. And if you haven't caught it yet, you've got to catch the entire series of his Star Wars-based Mud 79 radio play. Fred Kennedy, a.k.a. Fearless Fred, how we doing today, sir? We're good, man. We're good. I got I got coffee with some Forty Creek creamed whiskey in there. It's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a good start to a good day. How's the I've, holiday been treating you? Good, man. It's been so chill, and I think that like uh, it's easy to get down in the dumps about not being able to see this person and that person. But to me, it kind of the holidays can be a bit of a pressure cooker because we always have to like budget family traveling because all our family is out on the prairies, and then we've got some in laws up in Ottawa, and it's always like a when this person leaves, okay, person. that afternoon, okay, that afternoon we pack, then we go here. And so it can be almost overwhelming with all the things to do. Whereas this year, it's just been very relaxed. We went tobogganing. Oh, nice. Pretty good. Yeah, I took <laughs> the like, kids out all yesterday. All the little things that we squeeze in, now we're just doing, you know, that's the day. Uh, that's good. And it's a nice kind of just relaxing, pleasurable end to such a nightmare of a year, eh? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the year's been kind of an adjustment, but and and I know it's been really bad for anybody that's like owned their own business. And mm -hmm. I don't want to feel like I'm minimizing that aspect of it at all. But I feel like it's been a great reset for a lot of people uh finding new things to do with just your close personal bubble or taking the time to do those little side projects that you may or may not have had time to do before. I mean, that's what, that's where the mud 79 thing came from was because I, I had time to do it and we've all got those things. Oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm good. Then you just never do them. Mm -hmm. Just do it. Now is the time where you can find that extra time to do things. If you know, you're in a position where you're not having to work extra hours. Like if you work as like a healthcare responder or something like that, their hours. My wife works for Canadian Blood Services, and oh. they are busy yeah. right now. That's uh, yeah, that's awesome. Actually, my wife, uh, she had a tattoo on the uh, horizon. Then everything happened with the lockdown again, and then so that got canceled. So her first thing is, "Oh, good, I get to go donate blood again." So that was <laughs> hooray! Yeah, that hooray. that was her great joy. I mean, I'm super anemic. I I can't do it. I pass out. But she does it all the time. So that was like that was a, like a big silver lining for her. So that was great. Um, now you have been uh, on the radio during all this craziness, mm. and I've seen on your Twitter you've been dealing with a lot of. Uh, uh, fun people, uh, as it were, as <laughs> yeah. far as how they react to the simplest uh, uh, niceties of, hey, take care of each other, wear a mask, and that sort of a thing. So what's it been like yeah. getting kind of that rain down on you all day? Um, you've got to be a – I have two minds. I, like, I'm, I've got, like, I've got like, a, like a little pressure valve. And if I don't pass the threshold, I can write it all off. Because you deal with that whenever you're in the public, you deal with that 
stuff, all that negativity, you're a target. People want to vent to you. They forget that you're a human being. That's just going to happen. It's just the way it is. Um, but this has been, it's been zero to a hundred like that. Everyone is so sensitive. And what I'm finding frustrating about it is the people that, from my experience, that are the most sensitive aren't people that are watching their businesses implode or aren't people that are working as frontline healthcare workers that have suddenly lost every shred of free time. It's people that are just reading things on the internet and forming a strong opinion because it makes them feel good and makes them feel smart. And uh, one of my radio influence people, like a guy that I worked for when I was in my teenage years, gave me this book. He didn't give me this book. He told me to read this book called My Year Among the Truthers. And it's a book all about, like, he's a psychologist who went in with all these, like, conspiracy theory people and kind of analyze their psychological profile and the way they tick and what they do. And when, and I know it seems weird, but that really helped me a lot mm -hmm. uh, because you can, you can understand the, the desire. It's, it's about the desire to see through the lies, you know, <laughs> to find comfort in knowing that you're smarter, you figured it out and everyone else isn't. So you are the best. You're really smart. But at its core, uh, that whole mentality is that it's comfort to know that there everything is under control. It's just a bad person doing it. Mm -hmm. That is easier to accept than understanding we have no control and we're just floating in an ocean of chaos. Yeah. You know, it's easier for them to swallow that than. That's a Timothy Leary line, by the way, the ocean of chaos. It's <laughs> nice. easier for them to swallow the big shadowy guy behind the curtain than the ocean of chaos. So once you know that, it's like they're scared, and that's why they're attacking you. So mm -hmm. just deal with it. It's fine. It doesn't bother me. Well, that's cool because I, I have a similar thing. I'm, I'm Something I've been – trying to understand, especially because I find myself getting into stupid Twitter fights all the time. Oh, yeah. And so I've been trying really hard to understand that. And my co-host, who wasn't able to be here because of everything going on, uh, he he always gives me shit. We sit down, I'm like, oh, yeah, I got into this stupid Twitter war about uh, this. Even, even the dumbest things, like the Snyder Cut. He's like, why do you let yourself get into that? And he's like, just think of where people are coming from. And so, and with this, I've really sat down and thought about it. And it's exactly that. It's just a loss of control. And if there's one thing that they feel like they can control, then. Yes. The loss of control. That's really it. Really it. That hits it on the head. Yeah. So it's, uh, it, it's been really crazy, but I think I've calmed down and I think I've spent more time with my kid. I've been off this week with my kids and I've done very little of any of that or if i read something like that i've been able to blow past it uh so that's been uh it's been good it's been good for my psyche and i think that everybody just kind of easing up on each other especially online would be just yeah. wonderful each other's for each other's psyche especially right now because all you're doing is basically you're saving your best self for in the house and then all the in pent-up rage you're launching out at people from afar yeah uh, so uh, we we were talking just kind of before this started, just about kind of how all that has affected uh, working and stuff like that. And you were saying that you've basically been able to work because you're on your own in the room and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, has there been any of the like uh, I get a I I'm such an introvert that I get such a sense of like relief having kind of that like time away from people and stuff like that. But do you ever get those moments of I kind of miss people just a little bit. Like I wouldn't mind seeing people from time to time. Well, you get it. Cause the kid thing, mm -hmm. um, I live on a street that is going through not urban renewal. That's not the right term. A, a generational shift. Whereas okay. all the original owners that bought these houses in the sixties are all, uh, moving in with their kids somewhere else or there's all kinds of young families moving in so our street is full of kids so what i miss is we always like open the doors and then the kids run out onto the street and are hooligans and then we just chill out with the dads and hang out and, and yes. I, that is 
what I miss the most um, is hanging out with my neighbors because we've got a really tight knit crew. Like the six houses, there's six houses in a row here. Mm-hmm. All of us have kids the same age. Oh, nice. Like it's just, and you watch them, the kids like a mass of them just they go along and then they go back and then they go back and then someone is mad at somebody and then they break apart then they're back together half an hour later and that is what i miss the most mm-hmm. so we really only have a bubble with our neighbors and yeah. that's it mm-hmm. like all our family lives out like i said all our family lives out west we're all in the prairies okay uh so we there's no going to see family members it's us and our neighbors that's it that's our bubble mm-hmm. and i miss being able to just go sit on some guy's lawn and have a beer and then go to that guy's lawn. And that's what we do all summer. It's like, that's the way it goes, but that's just not happening right now. That is something I will admit that I miss. Cause like all the dads on my street are big star Wars fans. So we all talk. So I I've, I've missed that rapport while I've been doing the mud 79 thing, especially because mm-hmm. I bounce ideas off two of the dads specifically are guys that I will bounce ideas off of. And I don't have that, uh, that network anymore right now. Uh, frustrating. Uh, well, it's nice to have somebody I, cause we've got family friends and stuff like that who, yeah, I talk, we talk star Wars all the time. And those are the people they'll come over and I'm like, I got to break out my bin of the vintage toys. And it's like, check it out. You haven't seen since I got the ATSD, make them walk <laughs> like, like that kind <laughs> of nonsense. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been tough. It's my hope that I I mean it's it's a thin hope at this point, but it's my hope that by the time that summer rolls around, we might be in a situation we'll we'll be in a situation where we can be amongst each other again at least in a more raised capacity and I think by the early fall um and this is a, something I've heard consistently uh with people I know that work in healthcare field, like mm-hmm. nurses and doctors at hospitals specifically, uh, both here and one of my friend's wives up in Barrie. And they were saying September, that's like, yeah. that'll be the break month is September is when you're going to see a massive shift in things. And, and would I rather that be March? Absolutely. <laughs> but September, we've, we've, we're, we're more than halfway, you know, we're yeah. more than halfway at this point. Um, and I believe we can we can pull through and I and I hopefully cooler heads will continue to prevail. I mean, we've talked about people being mad, but I really do believe that it's maybe 10 or 15 percent. Yeah. Making a lot of noise mm-hmm. and a lot of people are just calming down like your co-host calming down, <laughs> not getting engaged and just being like, just spin your wheels, you know, just go ahead. I'm fine with it. Yeah. Uh, so I think we're, we'll be all right. I, I, I'm, I'm confident we'll be okay. Yeah. I'm hoping too, that the light at the end of the tunnel might give everybody just kind of a better sense of peace and stuff like mm-hmm. that as well. A uh, lot more certainty at this point. Absolutely. Um, something else I wanted to talk about, you have been a writer of comic books for some time and you've gone to some cons and done that sort of a thing. And so how did that kind of leading into writing something like mud 79, how did that style of writing kind of help or inform how you would write something like a radio play? Uh, Comics led directly into mud 79 uh, because uh, it was actually at ECC a few years ago. I mentioned this on the Mud 79 Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel Warren Johnson had just released Green Leader. And I don't know if you've ever read Green Leader, but it's no. this little Ashcan comic that he did a little bit. His art, first of all, it's Daniel Warren Johnson, so it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but remember the scene in uh, Return of the Jedi when the A-Wing spirals out of control and goes right into the, the control tower of the Star Destroyer? Yes. He wrote a whole comic about it. Oh, really? All about that pilot and his life, what led up to it, what was going on during the dogfight. And Daniel Warren Johnson's art is just incredible. And he did this little black and white ash can, and it became like the thing that everyone wanted at ECC that year. Mm-hmm. And I, I went by and I bought it. And he, the thing was, is he was, he was asking for money to pay for the printing costs and everything else was a charitable donation. Okay. And he had a little sign, I don't own this. I don't own nothing with this. It's mm-hmm. just something I wanted to do. I'm like, cool. I love that. (laughs) And so when the pandemic rolled around, I had three projects that had been greenlit. 
we were in the process of negotiating contracts and it all like kind of like imploded with the beginning of the pandemic because so many smaller imprints really had to ratchet themselves in what are we doing to define ourselves yeah. and so i was very upset because i felt like this was my big break year and then it all kind of broke uh so I didn't have the money to go finance a bunch of comics on my own, mm -hmm. but I do, I work with audio professionally. Like that's my day job. So I decided I'm going to do this as a radio play. Um, and I'd been hammering out the idea and tinkering with it for a long time. And the biggest adjustment from a writing perspective uh, with this versus uh, a comic is that when I'm writing a comic, my panel descriptions are three or four sentences at the most, mm -hmm. unless it's a big splash page with a bunch of really important little Easter eggs and details I want in there. Uh, so with this, I have to, and I'm stealing a line from my producer Dila that I call out in the podcast constantly because mm -hmm. she's very good at her job. And she gave me a line and she said, imagine I'm blind and tell me what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so that ver version of describing a scene is incredibly different than what you would do when you're laying out comic book panels. Uh, there's also no big even page reveals. So if I want to like make sure that I grab them and bring them in strong, I've got to change the way the audio works so that I have a big transition with the audio so that all of a sudden your ears tune in because your brain is programmed like you, you kind of vision will catch your eye. <laughs> auditory transitions catch your ear yeah. and your brain works so weird with sound. Like it's, it's such a psychology type of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you have a change in voice, immediately people will pay attention. So I'm timing where I have additional voices for when I feel like I need to grab somebody in, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. so there's a different writing process for sure. But the idea of telling a story and pacing a story is still very similar. Okay, now that's cool. And uh, had you, uh, prior to, well, just ever, just being a Star Wars fan, period, have you ever heard any of the old Star Wars radio plays? They they did the original trilogy, they did Old Republic ones, they did Dark Forces, all those good ones. Did you ever catch those? Yeah, I've listened to the, the PBS radio plays, mm -hmm. um, but they were more of like a pure radio play. Mm -hmm. I have this... If, if anybody's listened, it's like a hybrid of a book on tape with a radio play. Yeah. And I found that I got more out of you, the Thrawn trilogy books on tape because a lot of the, those like expanded universe books, when they adapted them to audio, they didn't just have a read. Mm -hmm. There was sound effects and music and pacing. And, and it was a really big production. I wanted to take that aspect and then – take it up a notch. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the production, I wanted something fully immersive, but I wanted it to feel like as if you're watching a Star Wars movie and someone's describing it to you more so than anything else. Excellent. And so finding the voices and then being the narrator and the first person perspective and all that stuff. But the PBS plays, I really loved. Mm -hmm. And I've Given that I do radio professionally, I could tell what they were doing and when they were moving things around, and uh, I really liked it. But I do believe, if I'm being fully honest, the the books on tape, in particular the Thrawn trilogy ones, uh, mm. where you've got Luke running through the woods uh, with Imperials and Talon card smugglers all over the place, and you can mm. hear the sound of the AT-AT walkers coming, and he's trying to get away. Like that, to me. Uh, although it's different than what I'm doing, I found it very applicable to what it is that I'm doing. That's, that's awesome. And that's kind of what I was getting at too, is just the idea of, see the thing for me with the, uh, for, with the radio plays, even the ones that were the original trilogy is it gave you an expansion and it gave me something I just never had from star Wars. And it was the same thing with dark forces. And I hadn't read the, uh, I hadn't read those comics. I hadn't read certain of the books. And so I was getting in all this new stuff and that's something very much that mud 79 can do, but it does it on a very different angle because it's not talking about this huge Jedi that we all know in a side yeah. story or something like that. It's giving you something that exists within that world and I feel like Star Wars is the only place where you can really do that is, 
you can just pick anything out. And it's like you were saying with that A-Wing pilot. You could just tell a whole story behind that one guy. And uh, so what is it like kind of diving into that world without having the need for all those uh, kind of iconic character types? Um, initially, there's always like a, oh, I can work this guy in. But then I, I've one of my biggest issues that I have with Star Wars is they have this entire universe where they're constantly talking about the scale of this universe. Mm -hmm. But then we always focus on the same group of people. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's kind of frustrating um, because when you look at the numbers, this, the process of putting 179 together was like a series of, of things that just kind of came together. Mm -hmm. But at the end of uh, Return of the Jedi, all right, the Emperor dies. There's still almost 40,000 Star Destroyers out there, <laughs> Imperial class. Like, there's almost 40,000 of them out there, and each one of them has, like, 50,000 soldiers on it. So that's a lot of people, and it's just a – it's not just done. Um, so all of those people, like, all the stories you can tell about that, and there's this – there's this watercolor painting by this Italian artist, and it's of a scout trooper. And I know that anybody who's searched for images of a scout trooper has seen it. I forget the name of the artist specifically, but it's a scout trooper, and he's in the rain, and he's muddy, and he's leaning up against a tree, and he's holding binoculars, and he's got the rifle in his arms. And it just has this air of desperation and defeat. Mm -hmm. And the initial idea for Mud 79 was of a scout trooper at a small outpost on a planet after the empire was falling apart. And it was hold the line boys. This is it. Like we stay and we fight until we die. And that's the end of it. And that was the initial concept for the story was based off of that painting because it's just, it's so great. And there's another painting of uh, it's a stormtrooper and he's curled up on a ball on the ground. Like looks like he's defeated and desolation around him and whatnot. And, there's such humanity in those pictures. And I feel that that's the thing that has been desperately missing from star Wars is the humanity of the Imperials. Mm -hmm. They're always just a bunch of tropes crumpled up into a ball and thrown somewhere. And I think that is what makes the Mandalorian stand out so much is that there's such a spectrum. Like we're rooting for a guy mm -hmm. and people forget it. We're rooting for a guy who in the very beginning of the series gives scientists a baby he finds. Like, that's <laughs> the guy that we're rooting for. Like, yes, he goes back and gets him, but at the time, there's no hesitation. He's like, here you go. Okay, yeah. here's my money that I got for it. Mm -hmm. It's like, and, and, and that to me shows the concept of a redemption arc, which is the most powerful storytelling vehicle, I think. It's yeah. my favorite, the redemption arc, yeah. like the great fall of humanity. Um, and so I wanted to tell a story from the Imperial perspective that wasn't about these awful individuals that are like, hey, how was your day? Yeah, I ate some babies. You know, like, <laughs> I didn't want to have, like, that's what I feel they do. Mm -hmm. And it's bad because I thought that, I know that people dump on The Last Jedi, but there was such a great, we're all the same mm -hmm. moment in that movie for all of its flaws. It had some really great ideas. Mm -hmm. And then immediately afterwards, nope, we're done with that. They're bad, they're good, and that's just the way it is. Yeah. I don't really like that. And I feel that Star Wars fans, as a collective, we're ready for something a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So that's the Mud 79 aspect. Yeah, And that actually was something that happened in uh, The Mandalorian, too, was that uh, scene with Cara Dune speaking to the... Uh, the pilot, when he was, he uh, made the point of, she made the quip about the Death Star, and then he's like, you think it's so funny? He's like, you know how many millions of people, like, you know, it was, it affected him. It was, it was as meaningful to him as Alderaan being destroyed was meaningful to her. And, you know, you're just two sides of the same. Totally. The same. And I, the same coin or, yeah. or Mount Calamari flan, if you will. <laughs> Much better, Yeah. <laughs> That I really loved that that show, especially the Megs Mayfield episode, The Believer. To me, I think The Believer was the best episode in the series. Um, 
I don't get me wrong. I know when that X wing flies into the the cruiser. Yes, I got yeah. I got emotional. Okay, I really did. <laughs> Everybody but the, did. the the scene where he's at the table and it, and he's Bill Burr, Migs Mayfield, and that mm-hmm. officer are talking. You can feel the soon as the guy says the word hero, mm-hmm. it just everything changes. Yeah, and that. That is the world we live in today where people are branded heroes for doing things. Yeah. But what does that mean to be a hero? And you've had that that look on his face of Migs Mayfield resenting not just the emperor empire, but himself forever believing in it because he sees what they are. Yeah. They're just go they're just they're now at the point where they're murdering and butchering civilians and their own soldiers just to get back at them, you know? And it's, that's where Mud 79 was heading. Mm -hmm. I have to tweak things because I don't want to be accused of doing the same types of things. Yeah. But I love that idea that people can redeem themselves and learn from their mistakes and realize they were wrong. I think just accepting that you're wrong about something is a huge, huge sign of, moral fortitude and i loved that scene so much for it just gotta sleep at night oh so good. <laughs> oh it was so good and it's and it's like you said too it's just these things and actually we were we've been re-watching the uh, series because my wife watched the mandalorian loved it she's like i feel like i need to re-watch the star wars series because she never gave it a series and serious enough shot so we've been doing that so life's been awesome but uh one of the lines that's in the crawl for empire strikes back which we just watched yesterday was there are heroes on both sides and that made me think about that a lot and it made me think about uh what you were doing with mud 79 going into this interview because you've got this guy who's a grunt in this war and this what i wanted to get at is you decided not even to make him a stormtrooper you like lower no. lower than a stormtrooper <laughs> yeah. and all that but still very much a part of this war and a believer you yeah. know when, when it all goes and uh so like how do you get into the mind of that when you're writing that character when you have you know we we have years decades of experience of seeing that these guys are the dark side these are the bad guys well we can go back to the scale of the empire and the Mm -hmm. way the empire works um and that the empire is really just a collection of of kingdoms you know Mm -hmm. not kingdoms but like districts and each one of them has their own uh chain of command and their own grand moff running things you know Mm -hmm. like the the grand moff system whatever you want to call it and when you look at the scale of that and you look at the way empires and kingdoms on just earth have worked, mm-hmm. um, there really is the emperor's at the top. And as long as all the money's coming in, he's not sitting there on the phone calling a supply clerk on an outpost somewhere being like, oh, everyone following you? Okay, all right, everything. Okay, good, good. Thanks. <laughs> Keep me posted. Like, that's not how it works. He's mm-hmm. got bigger and grander concerns. So the empire. In the much, I, I tried to break it down the way the Roman Empire would have operated. And that is that it's very pragmatic and accepts the needs of the region that it's in and then keeps it in order. And as long as it's in order over here, no one over here is going to care about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the way when you're talking about the scale and scope and size of the Galactic Empire, to me, that's the only way it can operate. Yeah. So thinking in those terms i found it very freeing um and i started at one of the big things i added was alien races being part of the empire Mm -hmm. because from a pragmatic standpoint they would need to be that would be Mm -hmm. just the way it is uh so my version of the empire is the this planet that they're on the soldiers that are there for the most part aren't from there because it makes it easier for them to keep order without siding with the locals on any big issues, which is something that the Roman empire used to do. Mm -hmm. So if you're in Germania, you're keeping order in Germania. The soldiers there are from an area that wasn't necessarily allied with Germania before the Romans came in, because that Mm -hmm. will keep them from working with the locals to undermine the new Imperial authority. Mm -hmm. So that was like the function of like, 
structure and building of the empire. But from a pure character core standpoint, I really did a lot of reading about Vietnam mm-hmm. and the Vietnam War. Because when you look now in hindsight, the Vietnam War, we're very comfortable with talking about the atrocities that were committed by uh, the Americans mm-hmm. in Vietnam. And I am one of those people that was just, I grew up in a military household, and even my dad was very open and honest about they did bad things over there. But why did they do bad things over there? And so there's a that Ken Burns Vietnam War doc, which is phenomenal because it's a complete and total dissection of the entire Vietnam War. Uh, it's, I think it's 20 hours long. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, very long. And what's amazing about it is, just like with Mud 79, it's not about so much the war as the people that were fighting on not the Americans, not just the North Vietnamese, but the South Vietnamese, mm-hmm. the civilians, the South Vietnamese soldiers, uh, the humanitarian workers. They talk to everyone. And you get such a well-rounded perspective about everything. Mm-hmm. And there was this one guy that was interviewed, and he's talking, and he said... I grew up in a house where my dad fought in the Second World War. All his closest friends were the buddies that he went and signed up to go fight in the war with. And they were the best of friends to that day. There was a bond they had that I always wanted. The Korean War came along. My cousins went and fought in the Korean War. And their best friends were from the Korean War. When the Vietnam War came and JFK is on TV saying, ask not what your country can do for you, but you can do for your country. Mm -hmm. I looked at my dad. I looked at my cousins. This was my war. This was my fight. Mm -hmm. And that that's just the Vietnam War. Imagine if you're in on a planet where uh, the Trade Federation comes in and is like, this is our planet. Now you're all going to have to leave or we're going to enslave all of you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's just the way it is. And then the Republic rolls in with this army and they're like, no, this is their land. We're going to fight for them. Mm -hmm. They liberate the planet. And now you're part of the new Republic. And then you're going to, and you grow up in this world where everything you owe, you owe to the Republic. Mm -hmm. And then, well, there's a political change, but it's still the same thing because you think of how removed we are from just Ottawa. We're just down the highway. So (laughs) imagine if Ottawa is, Coruscant, and it's so far away, even traveling at like light speed, it'll take you a year to get there. Mm-hmm. Imagine how removed from it you are. You're not going to care. All you're going to see is if, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have my life. Mm-hmm. My, my brother fought for the Republic. My sister fought. My aunt fought. Like mm-hmm. the main character, he's got all these ties to the Clone Wars because he grew up during the Clone Wars watching all this hollow net propaganda about the Republic, do your part, do your part. And now it's the empire. He's got no real options because he's on this like backwater country bumpkin planet and he doesn't want to be a farmer. He just doesn't want to do that. So mm-hmm. Luke didn't want to be a moisture farmer. Yeah. What did he do? Farms are t- apparently just really boring in the, in yeah. The well, he's, he's a young, he's, he's very blunt. He's 17 and he's, filled with like this desire to go out and do something. And so I'm going to go fight. And then when he joins the, the army, all the people in his unit are all in like the same boat. And when, and I did that intentionally, very intentionally, because when you watch this Vietnam doc and it's, it's so telling all the people that volunteered are all from the Midwest, small town, no real options. I wanted to play football. I didn't get drafted. I didn't get to go to the college I wanted. My marks weren't good enough. So I joined the army. And it's just mm-hmm. that trope of like, they just want to be involved and do something. And that's a very powerful urge when you're young. Mm-hmm. Like we were all 17 and just wanted to get out and do things. And you're talking about a system where you can join the army you don't have to pay for anything anymore. Everything's covered. You just got to go. And you get to go far, far away. Like, why wouldn't you want to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was, to me, and I don't know, it just was very easy for me to create a plausible 
likable character. Mm-hmm. It's not joining the Empire because he's bad. He's joining the Empire because to him, the Empire isn't the worst. It was the Trade Federation and anybody who would side with them. They tried to enslave my entire planet. Why would you want? Why would you even think about being with those people? So mm-hmm. the Empire had to work out pretty good for a lot of people. Otherwise, it wouldn't have lasted for as long as it did. Oh, for sure, for sure. Now, we go back a few months now. You finish your very first episode of this thing. You know Star Wars fans. How are you feeling? How are the nerves when you release that first episode as far as how is it going to be received? Um, I was pretty nervous, but I was really confident in it because I thought it was really good, and I thought it was a really unique take. Mm-hmm. Um. I was, uh, to be honest, I was uh, the most disappointing aspect of the whole thing was I found that the Star Wars internet community is, it's just, it's very weird and finicky. I don't know how to say it. It's like everybody wants to say that they're championing what's new and what's, what's like different and unique. But they don't unless it's already been made cool for them, if that's if that makes any sense. It does. <laughs> and that's understandable because as soon as people hear fan made, mm-hmm. they just kind of go, oh, all right, here we go. Yeah. But let me tell you, if Mark Hamill does a fan made Star Wars movie tomorrow, even if he's got like zero movie <laughs> editing experience, everyone's going to be like, it's the greatest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Is it? So I was I was frustrated with that with all my experience and my professional know-how, like nobody was willing to even take it seriously at first. And that's really changed a lot mm-hmm. uh, over the past nine months as I've consistently put it out because people are like, so you want me to listen, give you an hour of my time and then I've got to wait for however long to get another one. Whereas now it's like, we're more than 10 hours deep and we've got 11 episodes that are out there. Now it's a bit more, I don't know, uh, it's, got more credibility i guess is what it does but i was very nervous when i didn't see people respond to it right away more so than when i had released it i was a little bit disappointed and frustrated okay uh yeah see now one good thing i think because i follow you on twitter and like i have a a sense of your passion of star Wars and stuff like that. That's what drew me to it in the first place. Uh, I'm, I'm seven episodes deep. I've, I just finished episode seven, two days ago, obviously Chris Christmas hasn't gone. So I don't know how you wrap up in that yet. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, you're, okay. Number eight, episode eight is yeah. my favorite. I don't think yeah. it's the, like the best in terms of like, I knew where I was, my production skills were able to make it <laughs> as good as I wanted to. But I think episode eight is my favorite because we really delve into what I think is the coolest addition to the Star Wars universe with the Disney acquisitions, mm-hmm. and that's the Inquisitors. I think yeah. the Inquisitors are the coolest concept mm-hmm. in Star Wars, and it's just because there's just so much you can do with a Inquisitor. I think they're so yeah. rad. Oh, they are very cool. I like I. I... The the new hierarchy and and again even going back to Thrawn and things like that is just these new levels that they added post Return of the Jedi even because again like you said there are no aliens in the Empire like they wouldn't stick them in a in a stormtrooper costume post clone it's they're they're beneath them they're gonna go into those mud trooper states and stuff like that yeah. so to have these new guys and then to have these. Uh, in in other stories where they've had dark Jedi and all, and all these things who sneak into these little roles, it's it's really cool. Uh, but anyways, what I was uh, saying about you and your passion with uh, Star Wars, and I think something that's really important about how I see that you see Star Wars in your tweets is that you are a very objective. And just a base fan of Star Wars. Because there's so many people who are like, oh, this is the worst Star Wars thing ever done. It's like, well, no, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. It's Star Wars. It's still awesome. It's it's still like, uh, like, I think Chip Zdarsky had, he had this line and it was like, I saw the movie about the space wizards. It was a movie about space wizards. And I think that's what he said. And I was like, exactly, exactly. Like I can... That doesn't mean I can't make fun of things that happen in the movies. I absolutely can. 
but I refuse to allow myself to get that angry about a movie mm-hmm. that is about space wizards. <laughs> you yeah. really can't. At the, <laughs> at the end of the day, even when it's the worst, it's still awesome. Mm-hmm. It's still great. Like, relax. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want me to do a critical analysis, I can. Mm-hmm. But I'm a fan. I don't want to have to do a critical analysis all the time. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 you do, but I don't let it ruin things for yeah. me, I guess is the way to say. Yeah. Well, and the worst thing, that, and, the, and this is the argument I keep getting into that I ha- keep having to get brought down from, is if you did the same critical analysis, uh, if, like, you know, the person who's out there going, oh, uh, Rise of Skywalker is the worst movie ever made, not just Star Wars movie, just the worst movie. I'm like, okay, I want you to go and have a real critical look at the original trilogy, and guess what you're going to find? You don't like Star Wars. Yeah, dude, it, it's... Uh... It's like they're looking for something they want to have happen. It's like they're looking for something in themselves on the screen. Yeah. I don't know. I, I can be honest. Like I've left the theater after watching a Star Wars movie and gone. It ah, wasn't what I was hoping for. But I have also left the theater and been in shock being like, was that as good as I thought it was? Mm-hmm. Like, was that as good? Like, because I think that's like pretty much perfect. Was that perfect? And then you're like, I'm looking for confirmation from my fellow Star Wars fans. Like, be like, am I wrong? Like, when I watch Rebels, mm-hmm. Rebels starts out as like uh, a happy, lappy kid show, like almost like a Treasure Island vibe, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it ends so strong. Like, I, season four of Rebels is, is one of the greatest, I think it's one of the most refreshing takes on Star Wars ever. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm trying to give a fresh take on uh, conflict in the Star Wars universe in that regardless of sides, there's always victims. No matter what uniform they're wearing, it's still their friends that are dying. Like, that's it. Like, it just, there's a humanistic element to that that I don't feel that has been explored. And I feel that anytime you allow people to say they're the enemy and they're just evil for the sake of it is bad. No matter who you're doing it to, it's just, it's bad. Um and Rebels, like, kind of gave a new look at Jedi the same way I'm trying to give a new look at the Imperials. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I really feel that uh, Ezra Bridger was on his way to the dark side and mm-hmm. Kanan came in and showed him. I think that that show is going to give us, when we eventually see Ezra Bridger again in the Ahsoka Tano series, because I'm convinced that we're going to. Yeah. Uh, that he is going to have found an entirely new path for the Force that is beyond uh, the Jedi and the Sith of light and dark. I think he's gotten to the... Because I feel like those temples are pre-Jedi, pre-Sith. Mm-hmm. I feel like when Yoda gives my still my all-time favorite Star Wars moment when he talks about how uh, luminous beings are we, not mm-hmm. life makes the yeah. Force... I feel that they've kind of implied that Ezra found a way to commune with the direct, like concentrated version of the force where he's connecting with animals and life forms. I feel like he's going to be almost like uh, that, that Gardner character that had, uh, I think it's the, not the time gem. He had one of the gems in Thanos quest and he had the big gardener, the cosmic gardener guy. Oh yeah. I almost feel like that's where Ezra Bridger will be that he will, be communing directly with the nature of the force beyond the light and the dark, mm-hmm. almost like the Bendu, which I thought was another great character voiced by Tom Baker, who <laughs> is my all time favorite doctor who. Cause I, <laughs> ah, sorry. I'm no, going off the rails here. Man. No, these are, these are the rails that you want to go off for the, <laughs> yeah. especially for this show. I mean, every star Wars episode we do becomes a, uh, a bit of a problem. <laughs> I start to, yeah. I start to dig well, deep. I, I had things I wanted to talk about with, with like Mud 79 yeah. and I'm like, no man, Kanan's quest, like Kanan's <laughs> source. And like, that's so important. People need to know. Yeah. It's like people need to know everything. Oh, I will just say like Mud 79 is just like, uh, like a Vietnam war movie set mm-hmm. in the star Wars universe. And yeah. there's all kinds of little Easter eggs mm-hmm. in there for big star Wars fans. Absolutely. And if you have not, uh, scene. If you go on uh, Fred's Twitter at fearless underscore Fred, you can see the work that goes into these things, and you can just see if people who work in audio understand the work that goes into something like this. But to actually physically see the 
the tracks upon tracks upon tracks upon tracks and then hear it come out and it's it, it feels natural and simple because you've got the clean sounds in the background and this yeah and it's just and it just sounds like it's just something that naturally happened like you're sitting outside and reading your from your journal but that's not what's there's, happening that's a billion different things happening there are so many times where there's one scene where it's the very first time they get a call out where they have to go out on patrol mm -hmm. i have a file an audio file that has 30 different sounds of someone banging into a desk because he talks about how he remembers and this is the way our brains always work he really remembers that first call out not for the call out but because when he got out the way he hit his leg on the bottom of his desk really hurt <laughs> and it bothers him for the rest of the chapter and i kept listening to the sound of dunk someone hitting a desk no that's not quite right it's not hollow enough dunk no that's too hollow <laughs> so going through that and then when he's talking about this is a big thing from an audio standpoint for me was because my father was in the infantry for years. Mm -hmm. um, and then he, he went into the mid side of the military when his body just couldn't handle it anymore. And he talks about how you start to be able to identify the sound and range of a weapon instinctively. You just, you can tell, like if you're in the woods, you'll know this rifle will sound more similar to this than it would if you were in the open. He goes, your brain, you just, you learn to tell. And you can tell the range by the echo and the sound that it takes to get there. Mm -hmm. So when they're in Mud 79 and he's talking about, we're down behind a berm and it sounded like they're firing A-22 blaster rifles. That's an A-22 blaster rifle sound effect. Mm -hmm. Like that is, and if it's like he's saying the they came off the back of a landing craft, all of them carrying A-280 assault rifles. Those are A-280 assault rifles. That sound that they're making, that's the actual official sound effect for that weapon. And I was very, that was one of the things that I was surprisingly anal about. <laughs> Every weapon that they're using, that's the actual sound of that weapon. Because I thought that, like, when you're saying the, the time to make sure the sound effects are all right, I yeah. know nobody cares, but I care. Yeah. I care. <laughs> but it, but, and if that time doesn't go in, though, is the big thing, it doesn't, it, it all goes wrong really fast and it becomes very apparent to your ear. They don't know why it's not natural, but the fact that it is natural is, is that work. And yeah. there's, there's no lazy way to make that sound like that. And that's why I so highly recommend uh, this, uh, you know, this series uh, within issue zero, uh, just go hunt it down because it is, no detail spared by somebody passionate about Star Wars, and it is a good story. I don't ha I don't know how else to sell that. Well, thank you. Yeah. And there's a. I made a Twitter feed for it because I realized I was becoming too, mm -hmm. uh, all like sprawled out with what I was doing with other things. But it's mm -hmm. just Star Wars Mud seventy nine on yeah. Twitter. Mm -hmm. Everything that I post, including like spec art and things like that, because I've got to coincide with the release of the big finale. Kalman uh, Andrushovsky. Uh, who has been just the most positive supporting guy because he's such a huge Star Wars fan um, and like a pure fan like us. He just loves it. Mm -hmm. um, he there's a big finale, like a big like crescendo of to me. It's I don't know if you've ever read the uh, uh, the the Assassin's Apprentice series by Robin Hobb. It's just like this fantasy novel series, but mm -hmm. there's. I drew a little bit from that with this big finale where you've got an inquisitor. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't really want to give anything away. I okay. will just say that there's a bit of a mystery that's set up at the end of the second episode that all comes to a head within the last 15 minutes and you get all the answers that you wanted. Nice. And I, if I, you're speaking of the sound wave, like the mic, the multi-track sessions <laughs> of the audio that's where it's suddenly like 15 tracks thick all the time. <laughs> so that's that. And it's really good. And I'm really stoked for everyone to hear it. And I'm also really stoked for everyone to see the design that Kalman gave us for the art. He drew a picture of that final scene. And uh, after it drops, I'm going to drop the image online. And it's just wow, magnifique. Awesome. All right. So we talked about... Mud 79 being Vietnam in the Star Wars universe. So 
it became apparent that the movie that had to be done as we discussed it was a Vietnam movie and the movie that was chosen by you or uh, well by us we come bouncing it back and forth is we did Platoon absolutely what a classic uh, we watched it twice just to get ready for this oh man it was so good and it's just one of those ones and I what kind of shocked me rewatching it was the fact that I remembered so much of it. I can't yeah. say the same for um, uh, Apocalypse Now or something like that. Like, there's a lot of iconic things that you remember vividly, but like Platoon, I can go moment for moment, like from pulling out the the shitters all the way to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's such a great movie. Um, and the thing about that movie that that I always forget is mm-hmm. how many big stars are in that movie, <laughs> and like it's just. Every scene is just the who's who. And you've got young Keith David, who even when he's that young, his voice is just, oh, my God. He's he's got Keith David is my dream voice. Like, if I could get Keith David in Mud 79, I've made it. But who would he voice? Like, there's nobody epic enough worthy of that voice. Oh, he's incredible. He could be just anybody. He could could just be play a – he's like, this is a baby we found. Hey, how you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's just brilliant. And like you said, too, it was – of a super young Johnny Depp and your Willem Dafoe and Tom and Scarface, Ch- Tom Berenger, young baby face, Charlie Sheen, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Forrest Whitaker. Uh, yes. Like it's just uh, another guy who dips into the star Wars universe at some point. Uh, well, I'll tell you, I'm really, really grateful that you came on the show today uh, to just talk about Star Wars with me and nerd out a little bit and talk about your show. It's just been phenomenal. And then to talk about this movie, which was just also phenomenal. So thank you so much for coming. Um, where can people find you online and where can people find the podcast and all those good things? Well, if you want to watch me be crass and make jokes at fearless underscore Fred on Twitter and Instagram, I also post a lot of mud 79 stuff there. But if you want to find the Mud 79 stuff specifically, uh, Star Wars Mud 79 on Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, that's where I am. And uh, I post everything there. Like I talk about the cast and the crew members and uh, I post pictures of the multi-track mix downs of the sound waves and all that stuff before it comes out. And I also will give little Easter eggs about things that I that I influenced by um, and little things that if you're a big star Wars fan, there's things that get mentioned and I move on and I don't ever touch them again, because that's the way Easter egg should be. Yeah. You know, it should be just something in the background that you don't see. Uh, like in the believer, which is, we discussed my favorite episode of Mandalorian. When he jumps on the slave one, mm-hmm. Megs Mayfield grabs, he goes, hand me that rifle. That is a circuit adventurer model slug thrower, which has incredible penetrative power. That is the exact same model of sniper rifle that is discussed in the fourth episode that winds up pinning the entire platoon down because somebody who knows how to use it is keeping them pinned down. But it is also the rifle that belonged to Aura Singh, the bounty hunter that raised Boba Fett. And that to me is one of the greatest Easter eggs ever because (laughs) you and I have seen that rifle slung over Aura Singh's shoulder in the Phantom Menace. And that's the same prop that was used in the show too, which is amazing. Oh, those are brilliant. I always, I always love those things. And I love when people make reference. I, if you've seen that star Wars galaxy, uh, where it's like the making of the Mandalorian, there's a brilliant bit where John Favreau's sitting next to George Lucas on set. Uh, they were in the massive or not the massive, what well, it doesn't matter. Um, but they were, they were sitting there talking and he was talking about the Mandalorian's gun. And he's like, that's the rifle from, the uh, holiday special yes, that Boba Fett yeah. had. And he's the Canadian like, connection, both of us, that was animated yeah. by Nelvana. You oh, betcha. You go. I bring it up all the time, Nelvana-related yeah. things that happen here. And it's just, uh, yeah, it, it is a part of the company we work for. And uh, and he brings it up to George Lucas, and you can instantly see that look on George Lucas's face, like, don't talk to me about the holiday special. Oh. And then he's like, it's canon, right? And then he just kind of looks at him, he's like, not really. <laughs> just yeah. kinda, it just kind of blows them off. But I'm like, it meant something. We just redid the holiday special. Uh, it's the second time we've watched it as a podcast uh, for our Christmas episodes. So. I think that the, the, the holiday special is what it is. Yeah. But, but there's two things that stand out to me about that holiday special. Number one, yeah. 
the animated sequence from Nelvana. Oh my God, it's so yeah. good. Like with the Boba Fett, it's just like there's some goofy looking aspects of it. Yeah. But it's so cool. Like everything about it is so cool. Yeah. Um, and when the Imperials are searching the home, is probably the scariest you've ever seen the Empire. Yeah. Like it's like they are the Gestapo. It, it's mm-hmm. so good. So good. Oh, absolutely. I made it was the first time my wife ever watched it. She always for our Christmas episodes watches the watches whatever with me. And that's the commentary. And it was the first time she ever saw it. And it's the first time we've ever gotten one on video. And the look on her face is just priceless. And she just so confused and so wonderfully. We 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 had words after the show. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Fred, thank you so much for joining us. Uh and next week make sure that you're all joining us. Uh Fred will be back with us uh talking well in clip form talking about uh platoon and yeah, thank you so much. I really had a blast talking to you, man. Dude, thank you, man. Okay, we're back, and I want to thank Fred again so much for doing that with us, and it was such a good talk. I love talking Star Wars with people, and he's so passionate and so knowledgeable, and he's, you know, you're in good hands if you're going to want listen to Bud79, I would say. Uh, but in comparison, if you want to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, a, like a starter, like a, an appetizer for that? We're watching Platoon. How awesome is that? Uh, let's have a listen to that trailer. We've been kicking other people's asses for so long, and I figure it's time we got ours kicked. What happened today is just the beginning. We're gonna lose this war. If you're gonna get killed in it's better to get it in the first few weeks. I'm so tired. I think I've made a big mistake coming here. We're going back into that NBA bunker complex tomorrow. Scoop's a lot smarter than you think. Well, there's the beast. No fucking ambush. Lieutenant. What did you do something? What are you talking about? Oh, you lie! I took a dog, he said. Burn! You didn't know what I'm talking about. No, I don't. You ain't a fighter in two. What, you piece of shit? Sometimes I just look at a guy, and I know this fellow's not going to make it. You want to know what you're doing there with your fucked up fire mission? Okay, guys, so that is what we're doing this next week, not this week. This week, this is all we're doing. I'm sitting here with my new gimbal tripod, which is what is holding up my camera right now. You can see behind the scenes with some stuff that I just stow off to the side and really piss off my wife. And, guys, 2020 is over. I don't know what else to say other than 2020 is over. Let's hope that 2021 is a better year for everybody. I hope it's great for you guys. I hope it's great for us. Uh, As always, share your experiences. If you enjoy the show, 
tell a friend, rate and review uh, wherever you get this podcast or on YouTube. Uh, it helps us get found, and I really appreciate that. And check out our new stuff. Check out our Discord. Uh, check out our Twitch. Follow us on Twitch, and you'll find out when we go. When Todd and I are back together and we're doing our uh, lives and stuff like that, we will actually be recording episodes live on like as they go, so and as we as we do them, so you can chat with us while we do it and all sorts of fun stuff. And you can find out some of the movies we're doing ahead of time when we do that. So go follow us and uh, wait for the next time we pop up. And sometimes from, I'll pop up from time to time myself, just playing a few games or doing something fun like that, or just chatting with you guys. You know, breaking the ice. How's it going? <laughs> all right. We'll see you all next week. Find us at miscastcommentary.com. Uh, email us podcast at miscastcommentary.com. Find us on Twitter at JK Finley, at Miscast Todd, wherever he is, and at Miscast Podcast. Uh, Instagram at Miscast Commentary. Uh, join our Facebook. Join us on Facebook. All those wonderful things. We are around. We're easy to find. And we love you all very much. Here's to 2021. 2021. Let's make it a good one. And we'll see you next week. This has been Miscast Commentary with your hosts, Joe Finley and Todd Murray. Executive producer, Joe Finley. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Visit www.miscastcommentary.com for all news related to the podcast. Miscast Commentary is a Miscast Media Production.